And so we return at 11.34. You're tuned to 91.7 WHUS. My name is Joel Crutt. This is Pushing the Envelope, music decidedly left of center. We just heard two pieces composed by our guest Jill DeLions. Be on board momentarily. 
an instrumental version uh, called Bone Needles 2 and a vocal version of that same piece. Jilda Lyons, composer, vocalist, visual artist, combines elements of Renaissance, neo-baroque, spectral, folk, agitprop, music, theater, and extended vocalism to create works of uncompromising emotional honesty and melodic beauty. And she is also functioning, among many other things, as part of the composition faculty for the Connecticut Summerfest. And for those who didn't catch in the beginning, the Connecticut Summerfest, a contemporary music festival, is a week-long contemporary music festival for the education and career advancement of emerging composers and performers. The festival was comprised of seminars, lessons, rehearsals, and recording sessions for participants, as well as a free concert series open to the public featuring three different ensembles and residents and new works by participant composers, and also classes taught by Ken Steen and Jill DeLyons, who make up the composition faculty this year. So with no further ado, if this works the way it should, Jilda, welcome aboard to Pushing the Envelope. Thank you, Jill. Great to be here. The work that you do is very multifaceted. You wear a lot of hats to be an active participant in the contemporary music scene. I assume that's out of necessity. <laughs> trying to earn a living and and not have that impose itself necessarily on the nature of the creative work that you need to do well i think of i think of it as out of necessity my necessity um i don't i don't feel a slave to it i feel that that in order for me to live the life that i want and need uh, as a creative individual, I have a lot of ways that I need to express myself and needs that that I need to address. Part of the reason that I run the Phoenix concert in Manhattan is because I wanted to, to create a series where a broad stylistic range could be covered by one ensemble or one group. So the Phoenix concerts, we don't have a select group of, of like a kind of music we do. We do all sorts of concert music. And I, I wanted a group that could that would be commissioning and that would have a core group of players that return and also other guest artists all the time. So um, that was a need that I had. And so that's one of the things I do. And I, I have a, I love to teach. I love working with young composers and being of use. You know, what we do is so specific. Uh, you talk about doing a lot of different things, which I do. Um, but the, the information that I have, just from my experience, is rather specific. You know, when I'm at my kids' soccer games, it's not necessarily stuff that people talk about. <laughs> but it is but it is of use to somebody coming up in the business and I can give them a heads up, hey, you know what? Don't forget this. And I go, Oh yeah, you know what? That's you kind of either hear it from somebody else that you trust or you learn it yourself. And sometimes it's just easier the other way. And I like I like that I get to be of use. 
I, I um, think. So I, go ahead. I was just saying, I think that speeds up the process and brings people on board faster as they graduate from different programs such as HART and are trying to make their way into the current rendition of what the musical world looks like for somebody who wants to play and or compose in the current climate of things. Absolutely. That's the beautiful thing about the the industry now is how it has been exploded. And I, I always run towards that kind of productive explosion. I would absolutely choose this right now where there's the, the, the boundaries are all blurred and that that is freedom and that's that's something worth running towards. I think when you look at the ensembles and residents for Connecticut Summerfest and how they're smaller, compact units that are fairly portable, for lack of a better way to say it, they mm-hmm. can travel without too much of a problem, limits expense, but and also in ensembles that are not exactly the most common combinations. Uh, the Zolana duo is saxophone and bassoon, or apple orange pear, who we'll have on a little later today, is a horn and a harp. You've got all these new voicings and combinations and just for as a listener and as a broadcaster, for me that's like ear candy. <laughs> because I love hearing these new combinations or unusual ways of taking, in the case of the Meraki chamber players, a flute, clarinet, and a cello, and recombining these things into new ways of expressing these instruments. Absolutely, and especially for composers. I mean, when you write your first string quartet as a composer, you've got some some history to come up against or not i mean there that's another way to go is is some 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 young composers just are decidedly not learning the repertoire and that that is also you know a way a decision to make but if you if you've gotten to know the repertoire and you're you're you listen to some bar talk to get the sounds in your ears and then you go okay now i'm gonna write now now it's my turn you know i mean that's a that is something that every composer has to at some point in their life come to terms with. Right. Do they um, do they want to keep themselves in the continuity or do they purposely want to break away and use you know, let's say avant garde aspects of things? Right. Um, or so, both at the same time and you know, what what is what is it your personal voice is I mean it it almost sounds cliche to, to start talking about it, but it's it's cliche for a reason. Every composer, every every creative artist has this nuclear reactor that brings them to this art. And so when you're in direct dialogue uh, through instrumentation with other composers that have gone before you, then you have to come to terms with that somehow. But when you're writing for, uh, you know, saxophone and bassoon, there's, there's, less arm wrestling and and it might be entirely uh, a, a liberating thing as a composer comes to the table you know mm-hmm. the composer joins that that conversation and that collaboration it it may feel more direct for these uh you know for the the workshop that these artists are doing for these young students it's, it's a, such a gift is that the nature of 
passing that type of thing along as far as being part of the composition faculty along with Ken Steen to these ensembles and to these composers? I'm absolutely committed to never having a thing in my head that I'm committed to talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Because to the extent to which I do that, I'm, I'm playing tapes and I, and as you know, when when we have these conversations, we have to be free to go wherever the people in the room need to go. Yep. So sometimes you're in a room full of people that have all of that already really worked out, and then you wind up landing on very different conversations. But it's 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 to me, and that I always feel like this, no matter where I'm teaching, uh, that it's it's part of my job to. But I have to have their back to make sure that whatever they're doing works on the at the microcosmic level. You know, getting in and saying, "Oh, don't forget that the subido goes after the dynamic, not before," and things like that. But also to zoom out. I use that metaphor to to click the zoom out button mm-hmm. and uh, on on the piece and on the life and on the conversation because it is. Absolutely, as composers, what we do is so detail-oriented. And we live with six minutes of music for, you know, some take some people months mm-hmm. to, to really feel like they've gotten to double bars on a six-minute six piece. And so they've lived with that six minutes for a, an extended period of time, but the people in the room hearing the premiere of that piece had six minutes to live with six minutes. And that's that is uh, that is my job to to remind the people, the composers that I'm working with, about that um, that dual experience. Actually, I'm going to bring up something I talked to Ken Steen about. We were talking about liner notes and program notes and things like that, mm-hmm. and whether it was more advantageous necessarily for the audience and or the composer and or the players to listen to the piece first and then read about it or see sort of what its derivation or structure might be depending on how the notes are written and then listen to the piece Mm-hmm. Anything come to mind as far as that goes? Because I thought that was a really interesting question. <laughs> I, I've been I've been living with that question for very very intensely for thirteen years because we're about to go into the thirteenth year of the Phoenix concert, mm-hmm. and I, uh, like I said, front end of this part of the reason that the Phoenix concerts exist was a need that I had to address certain things, and I. Um, I had just come out of grad school with uh, when when I founded the series, and one of the things, and I had a beautiful education and worked with great people. And I'm very blessed, so I want to preface this that I'm not in any way complaining. I, I'm I had a great ride, but I have noticed along the way that it there is a temptation for certain people to use music as an exclusionary language. And not only did I have no interest in that, I had no, uh, I, I wanted to decidedly not perpetuate that. That I believe we can have excellence and also be inclusive. 
And so with the Phoenix Concerts, because part of the mission is to explore a broad range of musical styles um, it, and, and new work. You know, we do a, a, a lot of commissioning. So since people in the audience uh, will be a large percentage of the time hearing something they never heard before, and because part of my mission is to have a different audience every time, I don't want the same 15 people. I mean, I do want the same 15 people to keep coming back. In addition to the same 15 people, I want three times as many people that I've never met before. You want them to tell their friends and then tell yeah. their friends. You want the good, positive yeah. word of mouth as well. That makes a big difference. Exactly. I want that, and I want a different group for different concerts because it suits them, and it suits them. You know, I, I'm... I, I love the idea of our core audience, but also in addition to that, a, a bunch of people that have maybe never been to concerts before. And if people have never been to concerts, I, I taught for seven years in the Bronx, and uh, during that time I had a lot of students that would come because they knew me. And, you know, when I'm watching a kid's soccer game, again, back to the soccer thing because it's Saturday morning, um, <laughs> but if I, if I were watching a soccer game and my kid wasn't in it, I don't think I'd have that much interest in watching right. a kid's soccer game. But my kid's in it. All right, now I'm on board, right? Now I'm invested. And that was for for my students in the Bronx. A lot of them had never been to a, a concert like this before. And so I was the kids playing soccer that day. So, all right, they found a way in. And I need to respect that. I need to meet them halfway. And so how I can meet them halfway is by making sure that they have program notes to they get I, – I, I give them an idea. Maybe you can show up 10 minutes early. Maybe you can have a program in your hand and read about what's going to happen so that you have an idea, you have a way in. Or maybe you get there five minutes late and you don't, and that's fine too. But you get to choose. So I think that there's – I know that there's no answer, which is why we get to have the conversation, because if there were an answer, you wouldn't have asked. <laughs> <laughs> but it's – but the the beautiful thing about the artistic experience that each of us has is that it's unique. And so for some people, they feel adamant that they don't want to read. They want to have, they want it to be a pure experience. Right. And other people really, really feel strongly that it, that they need a way in, a literal way in literary, I guess. Um, but they they need a way into the piece. So I I get to, I have it both ways. I mm -hmm. make them available, and if and then I let people choose. Ken had told me about a festival he had been to where they would not give out. So what they would do is play the piece. Then they would like have somebody come out and talk about it, basically discuss, you know, act as you know notes, and then they would play the piece again. Yeah. That's the dream. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, I think exactly. That's the dream. Yeah, there was a series. Uh, where was it? it was, I think it was associated with Juilliard in some way. But there was a series uh, back in the early aughts that I remember going to and thinking, "What a fantastic idea!" Because mm -hmm. we would hear the contemporary pieces twice, and we would a since they were contemporary pieces and often quite challenging, we'd hear what where the where the tricky parts were, because mm -hmm. you can't hear it. You don't, if you don't know the piece, 
you've never heard a piece, you don't know where the mistakes were. And then the second time you hear what was different, you go, oh, yeah, you really locked in, and now I get it. Now I get what you were going for, and I would have missed that if I hadn't heard it twice. But also it was those comments in the middle that were so fascinating. Well, it helps the piece gel to the audience. You know, yeah. on... And it takes the curse off it for the performers, yep. and for the composer. It's, it's, a, it's absolutely a, a wonderful conceit. So we talked about you as an educator, you as a, a sort of facilitator of new music through uh, <laughs> the Phoenix. I can't think of what the last word is in that the ensemble. Phoenix concerts, yeah. Uh, yep, that. <laughs> <laughs> so you as a performer, as a vocalist, how does that play into everything? Because that's a totally different thing, both performing your own works as well as those of others. Where does that yeah. place you in the scheme of things? Well, as a new music specialist, I guess. That's, mm -hmm. that's my love. And so really, I come at new music as a composer. I come at new music as a, as a presenter with the Phoenix Concert. And I come at it as a musician. And uh, my specialty is that voice thing that I do. And I, I think it's fascinating to me the way that new music vocalists often absolutely uh, overlap with early music vocalists. And that's been a, a fascination of mine since I had that epiphany, which is <laughs> which has then been a lot of uh, a lot of conversations with other people like, yeah, you know, like it's not my I'm not the only one who ever thought of that, but when I had that thought, it was like big, you know, big stars circling over my head of, mm -hmm. wow, there's all this overlap between what early music specialists do and what contemporary music specialists vocalists do. I and, think and you, you fall into, when I heard Bone Needles, the vocal version of it, it brought yeah. me that idea of looking forwards and backwards at the same time. Meredith Monk's yeah. music does that. Absolutely. You know, using that same type of small, often small two or three voices, just the counterpoint between them. And so fascinating. And also also the specificity of intonation, that, that, that purity of sound. It's not that there is no vibrato. There's absolutely vibrato, but, but it's, a real, um, it's a real precision. And this this season, there's a, a marvelous um, ensemble, Anonymous Four, yes. um, that Ruth Cunningham is one of their founding members. And Ruth is an early music person. She plays Renaissance flute and harp, and, uh, and she has this, this glorious sound. And she's been touring all over the world with Anonymous Four, and I've been fulfilling commissions, and it's been hard to let our uh, find a space for our... Uh, schedules to align, but this season we were able to do a project together, and uh, we have a, a program called Epiphanies. I did a couple of commissions for the program, and in addition to that, we have a lot of traditional works, and it's so fascinating. It's been fascinating with me, with my contemporary music focus, and her with her early music focus, and also her work as sound healer, to have that overlap Mm -hmm. uh, and come together. It's, it's special. It's it's very special because we have we come from different worlds, but our aesthetics align. And you must have seen, like you were just saying, when you 
you yourself had that sort of epiphany of how earlier vocal music overlapped with what you're doing in creating new music. That must have helped gel that, the fact you two were working together and coming at it from both ends. That must have helped crystallize some of those thoughts you had in your head, I'm going to guess. It did when I'm when we met. We've been we've been working together in different capacities, and we've collaborated t- on two different programs. But this was very much the first one where it was all the two of us. We had smaller collaborations earlier, and the first time I met her was in New York at a concert where she was not with Anonymous Four. She was a soloist at an event, and I went up to her and in- introduced myself to her, and I just I told her she had the perfect voice. That I don't say that people Mm -hmm. but you just have the perfect voice and she said oh it's so nice to meet you i'm ruth cunningham i said you know i'm jill the lions and i went (laughs) home and i googled her and i was like oh well come on (laughs) she's ruth cunningham from anonymous four of course she has a perfect voice (laughs) but it it definitely that was and and then about three months later she wound up premiering uh, a chamber opera of mine with american opera project because she was the voice that we needed for that role. Wow. And uh, it, yeah, so absolutely, Joel. There, there. That was one of the things that was the that that really let me dive into that epiphany <laughs> head on. I, and I sort of like the idea. You started out like a fan girl, you know. It's like, oh yeah, <laughs> I was a total fan, and I didn't even know who she was. Right. <laughs> That's an excellent story. <laughs> We've been speaking with Jill DeLyons uh, from the Hart School, who will be part of the composition faculty at Connecticut Summerfest, which is taking place from June 15th to 21st. And do you have anything else you'd like to add? Anything you think our audience... Oh, um, the Phoenix concerts there. How can they look into that, get more information, what your schedule oh, is? Oh, thanks and for stuff. asking. Oh, yeah. sure. Well, you can friend us on Facebook, of course, um, and an even more efficient way of, of learning more is to go to www.thephoenixconcerts.org. And even though we have Phoenix in the name, we are a Manhattan-based organization. <laughs> uh, and um, so we welcome you to come, and, and you can. there's a little GUI on the front page of our website that you can, or I don't know if it's on the front page anymore. I might have spoken. <laughs> it's there. And you can sign up to be on our email uh, list. We don't spam and we don't sell names. We can just send you, cool. send you uh, a prompt for the, for the four or five concerts that happen every season. And we do a lot of commissioning, so I encourage all composers especially uh, to, to check us out because we do a lot of different stuff. Excellent. And we're coming out with our first, see, we just actually finished up sessions, uh, studio sessions, for the for our recording project, which will be the very first CD release of, of the Phoenix concert. It's called The Folk Tune Project, and it is, uh, we took four folk tunes, and then I commissioned nine piano trios that are inspired in some way by those folk tunes and then paired them in concert and we'll we'll pair them on the cd oh nice would you be willing to come back on and talk about that when the cd comes out i would love that joel thank you for the invitation and i will be in touch for sure excellent and uh i'm sure since i plan on attending all the concerts i will run into you uh someplace along the way at connecticut summerfest 
Oh, I'm looking forward to meeting in person. <laughs> All right. Thank you for your time, and we'll see you soon. Thank you, Joel. All right. Take care. You too. Bye-bye.